Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 15, our review of last week's Liver Connect and Nash Connect meetings, sponsored by the Chronic Liver Disease Foundation. Today's episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami is sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, a clinical-stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for Nash. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmetarum, is a once-daily, oral, thyroid hormone receptor beta-selective agonist that is designed to target key underlying causes of NASH in the liver. Resmetarum is currently being evaluated in two Phase three clinical studies, Maestro NASH and Maestro NAFLD-1, designed to demonstrate multiple benefits in patients with NASH. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. This conversation starts with discussion about including pediatric patients in NAFLD drug trials, with Naimel Corey stating how important it is, Louise Campbell asking whether this step is urgent and fast enough for the increasing number of adolescents and children with NASH today, and Marcelo Kugelmoff suggesting that he anticipates fatty liver drug development to look like what we've seen in the past, which means adult patients in the developed world first because they're the fastest path to approval, then everyone else after the drug has been approved. From this conversation, conversation, the group goes on to focus on the power of obesity as a risk factor and how the U.S. and U.K. have differed in their approach to this issue. In the end, we begin our discussion of Saturday's NASH sessions from Liver Connect with Mazen Nouradine's comment about the brilliance and sunshine of starting the day with a speech from Nobel laureate Harvey Alter. This conference addressed important fatty liver and public health issues in unique, creative ways. Our discussions in this episode reflect the importance of the issues and the innovativeness of the approach. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Name Alkuri. We do need to also develop drugs for the pediatric population. So I think this is part of phase three drug development. At least in the United States, you need to have a pediatric study plan. We are working with several companies that are in phase three now to, to imagine how it's going to look like when we design the pediatric trials. We need more clear guidance from the FDA and EMA on what they would accept as an endpoint for pediatric trials. So this is an ongoing discussion. But I think we need it all. We need the education, the policies, but also we need the, the same things we do in adults from diagnostics to therapeutics. Louise Campbell. Can I ask Naeem how we get across then? Obesity and all of this is driving so quickly. How do we get across the argument of we need data? By the time we get data on the adolescent population now, if you look at Tracy Simon's work, they're going to be dead. But sometimes we've got to take that leap of faith. We've got to go ahead of the curve and prove that it's a benefit. We know education works. Can we wait 15 to 20 years? to drive the data argument that we see with obesity? Or do we actually reverse it slightly and say, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? People are going to survive and live longer and healthier. (laughs) Because we always get the argument from the opposite data, data, data. But in a disease like this, in adolescence that's moving so quickly and with such devastating outcomes, can we really afford to wait on the old paradigm? No, we should not wait until we have, you know, more data on the natural history. Because as you said, I mean, we don't want to wait years. We need to extrapolate a little bit from the adult literature with the idea that we will generate that data. We will have a better understanding. But as you said, you know, you have a 
16-year-old with uh, stage 3 fibrosis on biopsy, which is not unheard of. Actually, if you look at data from tertiary academic centers when they biopsy children with NAFOC, about 10% will have F3 fibrosis. So in that scenario, I think we need to be more aggressive and extrapolate from the adult data until we have more pediatric-specific data. I couldn't agree more. And unfortunately, you know, with the way research is done, this is a common practice in pediatrics that sometimes you just have to go with the data you have in adults, apply to children until you have your own data. Yeah, so Marcel, just one second, but uh, to, to expand on one of my names, Miriam Voss was telling me, I don't remember if she's telling me or she said this in presentation, that she has at least three patients in her practice who are 14 and 15 who are cirrhotic already. That's less common, but certainly happens. Okay, Mar Marcelo, please go ahead. Marcelo Kugelmoss. Do you want to say that there are things that we can do today and things that we cannot do today? So as far as medications, we absolutely need to prove safety and efficacy before we take any sort of leaps, and we have to be rigorous about that. I do not advocate cutting any sort of corners, but we can uh, start at a population level to promote the things that we know that are beneficial for this disease. And I think there was very good conversation throughout the meeting about dietary and lifestyle modification. And uh, a part of the problem of why those things don't work is because there's not enough people that are committed to it because of lack of support. So that goes a little bit back to laws, government, and those kinds of efforts outside of pure medication to try to put our efforts where they're going to make a true impact. And if we can get these kids to exercise and eat better, they will get better. That can be done. So there are things that we can do today, not medication. We cannot do medication today for pediatrics, but there are other things that we can do today. So, so question. In the UK, one of the important things that they have done, and Louise can talk about this far more than I, is actually start to take on the food industry over the question of labeling. And in fact, the food industry has now come to the table and said, we'd like to label better. We'd like to be clear about this. With the idea that labeling should address these issues and labeling should address sugars a lot more uh, aggressively than we have otherwise. You know, in New York City, uh, in, in the States, either because of the nature of who's powerful in lobbying or what folks are concerned about, that's been a much rougher road to hoe. First of all, Louise, did I capture the UK correctly? And then to the other three of you, can you see the US getting to a place where we can become part of an effort to lobby for not just telling kids or parents you got to do better, but actually starting to change the nature of what gets advertised? Mazen Nureddin. Uh, um, Roger, I mean, I actually want to just step in quickly. There has been an effort actually in the United States, and uh, I don't want to get political, but Michelle Obama many years ago launched the My Plate concept. That I do agree with you that we should do more and press more, and it shouldn't be just changing from administration from Democrat to Republican or Democrat to Democrat. It should be, it should continue, but we do love it less a better job as entire system in the United States uh, compared to England, for instance. In the context, Michelle Obama, if we take her as the example, her program came out of the fact that her one of her children was seen by a pediatrician and told that they had fatty liver disease or they were overweight and the presumption was they may develop fatty liver uh, because she covers it in her autobiography, which I've read. And it was out of that, because they were all travelling, that 
they were eating a lot more processed foods and a lot more junk foods and the children were young. Not Most people don't have access to paediatricians. Now these are highly intellectual and intelligent people and it managed to happen in their family. The majority of people, particularly those of lower socioeconomic classes, don't have access to chefs to be able to work that schedule for them or the information. So if it happens in higher economic families and well-educated, we have a problem. So she started that foundation. It's a fantastic initiative irrespective of any political divide it's good here the bite back 2030 campaign is driven by young people in their teens and early 20s to stop industry and particularly social media sending 500 adverts a second for junk food now the government here has done very well in the context that they're considering turning around a u-turn on it but they're banning advertising of junk food before nine o'clock they've already done a sugar tax we know that south american countries have done that and it works so they're there is a move to help childhood obesity, but there is no education in school on it. There is none of the education of how we operate and look after our bodies to help us be weller for longer in life. That's for me where I'd like to see the education. That's where I'd like to see families and children taught a lot younger. The most complicated system that we're ever going to come across is how we look after ourselves. We don't even know the basics. Um, and I think that's where education needs to start for me and, way, and prevention in that and more activity in school, but better school meals. So I think it always has to start a lot younger, particularly if we're going to save the generations that are there now and the ones upcoming. Just to go back to Roger's comment about can we actually be the engine for that change and can we push for it? With fatty liver, this is sometimes for the families, as you said, even with Michelle Obama, this is the first sign that, you know, eating unhealthy food, gaining weight can lead to organ damage. The liver is probably the easiest organ to demonstrate this. When you say your child is overweight, obese, people don't think of obesity as a disease. When you say you have high cholesterol, it doesn't translate to them that there is heart damage. You know, even with pre-diabetes, they don't understand that the pancreas is sick. I think with fatty liver, once you say that, it, it, it's kind of a shock to them. And maybe we can use this uh, not to use scare tactics or anything, but I think you know this is the one of the first organs where you see evidence of uh, the damage caused by unhealthy diet and sedentary lifestyle. Um, and maybe it could be a starting point for a camp where we actually sit down and discuss with the health policy makers and food industry uh, and be more specific to fatty liver as opposed to obesity, which has many um, issues related to stigma and, uh, you know, social issues. Uh, I think maybe focusing on fatty liver would be a good starting point. Yeah. And Roger, let me add one thing also to that. I still think we have a long way to go. There are a lot of foundations that they help medical research, and a lot of them are focused on cancer, which is very, very important important topic but guess what obesity leads to cancer and it's not if it's not one of the most common associated factors or cause fatty liver is associated with cancer so i'm, I'm gonna call people hopefully to help us like you know the Gates Foundation, Miss Melinda French Gates and Priscilla, Ms. or Dr. Priscilla Chen, that they support medical research to support us. Maybe you can send our audio to them and convince them that they need to get an alcoholic family report along Michelle Obama. We'll bring all of them on the show. I, I like it. I like it. I, I have to tell you what, I, I like Naeem's comment because if you want to pick one statement that can get people to sit up, it's American diets today are damaging the livers of one out of every five kids and adolescents. That's a 
pretty intense number. And sometimes you really have to just cut to the heart of what matters. And I'm a, I'm a big fan that you should always be optimistic twice and pessimistic once. I, I think you're right. People don't think that obesity, well, you can lose weight. But until you turn it into, there is something in your body that you are damaging by doing this. It's getting worse. Uh, yeah, certainly is. Other comments. I would like to take a few minutes and talk about the Saturday morning sessions. Other comments on, on health disparity and diet, I think we've covered pretty well. Yeah, I want to make a quick comment on the on that day in general for the CLDF. It's great leadership. Thanks to Zubair, Marcelo, Ira, Sammy, and I'm sorry I'm forgetting anyone. Great conference between the Nash, Nash Connect and uh, what we're going to talk about next over Connect. It has been really landmark uh, conference and I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the weather. Enjoyed seeing friends and we're going to talk about liver connect but you cannot talk about a better start than having uh, the hardware altar starting that day and now back to roger we hope you've enjoyed this recording if you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com we'll be back next week with modeler par excellence chris estes and a group of key opinion leaders to discuss how the things we can learn in epidemiologic modeling can help shape drug development until then stay safe surf on we'll see you on the podcast bye-bye now